you to turn open your Bibles to Psalm 29. If you have a Bible with you, if not, there's one in your pew racks. Also, you may have seen the slide up on the screen that said uh, about downloading the Logos Bible app. If you happen to use that, there are many different Bible apps out there, but if you like to use your phone, uh, this one actually tracks along with the presentation tonight so that when a scripture verse comes up on the screen, it'll pop up actually on your phone if you follow this presentation. So that's an added benefit there. And that's also the program that we talked about in our Sunday school training class in terms of studying the Bible. So that I'd highly recommend that if you don't use that already. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the awesome voice of the Lord. As I was looking through different psalms, this one stuck out to me because it repeats this phrase over and over, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. <clears throat> and uh, so tonight, the theme is God's voice, not that voice, okay? Uh, I don't know if you watch the voice, but this is not, not that kind of voice, okay? We're thinking about God's voice tonight. Uh, and I have an opening question for you. Have you ever wondered what God's voice is like, what God's voice actually sounds like. I know I've wondered before, if, you, if I could just hear what God sounded like, uh, that would be pretty amazing, I think. Um, we know from the book of Revelation that one day when we are resurrected, we will stand in God's presence, and we will see him face to face. Revelation 21, I jumped ahead there, sorry, I'll show that in a, just a minute. Uh, Revelation 21 verses 2 and 3, and you don't have to turn there. It just says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. And, uh, and, and it says later that we will see his face. We will see what he is like. Okay. Now, there are some instances where people have tried to figure out what the voice of God sounds like. So I have a clip here from the Ten Commandments, if anybody's ever seen that before. Okay. And uh, we'll see in the clip about the burning bush what people surmise God's voice sounds like. So here we go, sound crew, if you could just turn that up a little bit. I am here. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. All right, so that's one interpretation of what God's voice sounds like. Sounds like, you know, just a, a deeper version of a, a deep bass voice, you know, maybe somebody with a cold almost, you know, just as deep as you can think of it. And, that's God's voice. What does it actually sound like? Well, we, we haven't heard, you and I, what God's voice sounds like. We'll get some glimpses in the scripture here as to what it sounds like, but that's usually the direction people take. How many people have been to Sight and Sound before? Raise your hand. If you've seen Moses or any of those, at some point in the show, there's usually a voice of God, so it's usually the same kind of thing. Um, as I alluded to, Revelation 21 does tell us that one day we will get to see God face to face. We'll get to hear his voice audibly, see him visibly, I think. Uh, it says our, the dwelling places uh, with God is with men. And it says very specifically, Revelation 22, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. That's something totally new. Because in the book of Exodus, Moses was told in Exodus 33:20 20, that... Uh, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. And that's found in Exodus 33, verse 20. 
So tonight, we're going to look at a psalm that focuses in on God's voice. Unlike God's face, there are people in the Bible who have actually heard God's audible voice before. Now, whether that's really what God sounds like or a veiled representation of God's voice is something we could debate until eternity. But what we can say is that in many cases, when people in the Bible heard God's voice, they were terrified. It was something mighty. So you think back to many stories of prophets who talked with God and God spoke to them and different things and they heard a voice. Um, but in almost every case, or in a lot of cases, it was something that terrified them. It was something amazing, mighty, powerful. So people throughout history and film have tried their best to take a stab at what God's voice sounds like. Uh, like, a, like we showed, it's usually that deep bass voice. But uh, rather than just speculate here, let's look to Scripture and figure out what exactly this voice is like, because this voice is going to be the focus of this psalm. It's going to say a lot of things about the voice of God, and it's going to try and press a point upon us, and so we want to see what that point is. In fact, let's go to that, the main idea. As you look ahead to this psalm, and if you already have your Bible open to it, it's not a very long psalm. Uh, one of the reasons I picked it, it's, it's kind of short, so that's nice, right? Um, hopefully that won't mean I, I go over because it's only 11 verses. But uh, it says in Psalm 29, I think this is the main point, that the glory of the Lord is revealed in God's voice, and therefore we should respond in worship. So even though this voice uh, is mentioned here over and over again in this passage, what I want you to see is that this is really about God being our king. Okay? It's, it's a passage that's fixated on the voice of God, but when you see voice, what I want you to think is this. God's voice equals him as a king. This is ultimately a call to worship the king. And everything that it says about God's voice is meant to point us back to the fact that God is a glorious and mighty king. And so all of the illustrations that are used about God's voice point to that great reality. Think of king this whole time whenever we are reading these verses. Okay, so here is how the psalm is laid out. Let's give an outline. Breaks up into three sections. Verses 1 and 2, then 3 through 9, then 10 through 11. Verses 1 and 2 serve as an opening call for us to worship our King, the Lord. And here we find that a great king is known for two things in particular. You can see this in verses 1 and 2. It says glory and strength. Okay, I want you to remember those words, glory and strength, because those are going to relate to the rest of what God is uh, described like, or how his voice is described, rather, uh, in verses 3 through 9, glory and strength. So then as we go to verses 3 through 9, it's a description of the king, glory and strength, okay? And that is being described in all of these different ways that the voice is pictured for us in these images of God's voice. And then finally, in verses 10 through 11, uh, we have this concluding blessing uh, to the Lord, our King, in his reign. I was thinking today, it's kind of funny, I'm talking about God's voice and how majestic and amazing it is, because I just had a little bit of surgery on my mouth, so I've got quite a bit of a lisp. So my voice is not majestic at all tonight, so I ask that you bear with me, and I'm sorry about that. But if you can get past that, hopefully we can get to the, to the text. Let's look at verses 1 and 2, a call to worship the Lord our king. Okay? Now, in the beginning of this passage, it just says a psalm of David, and it doesn't give us any other background material about where it's coming from, so we're not going to speculate as to what time of David's life this is happening in. But let's just start with verses 1 and 2 and read them. It says this, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. So the psalm begins with this call to worship the Lord, the king of the universe. It begins with this command, ascribe, which is spoken three times. It says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength, those two words that I told you to look out for. So who is this command for? Well, our text says, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. So I'm going to underline that for you. O heavenly beings, which reveals that uh, the <coughs> uh, it's angels it's, it's being addressed here. Now, if you have an ESV or another Bible that has footnotes, you might notice there is a footnote there by heavenly beings that also says, literally, this can be translated as sons of God. And the phrase sons of God in the Bible can be usually taken in one of two ways. There, there are many ways, but the two most common are either angelic beings or people, okay? Sons of God being humanity. And so there could be a debate here whether it's talking about angels or whether it's just talking about us. Who is it calling uh, to, to praise God? Well, ultimately, I think we could say both are true, of course, right? We're, we're all called to praise God in this case, but we'll go with what the ESV is saying, heavenly beings here. All of heaven is being called to glorify God as our king. And other nations would often ascribe all kinds of power to their own specific gods, uh, one foreign god might be praised for bringing the rain, and another might be praised for, for victory in battle or for fertility or prosperity. But against all that, what I want you to see here is that the psalmist is saying, no, ascribe to the Lord all the glory and strength that he is due, for he is the one that is worthy of it. It is due to his name. And that name is important. We are called to honor and keep the name of the Lord and to keep it holy. And that's why it says in Exodus 20, verse 7, I don't have this up on the screen, but it says you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And Leviticus 24, 16, whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones. And this goes beyond just what we say out loud about God, although it certainly includes that, but it includes much broader areas into our life, the way we uh, make others think of God by the way we live? Do we blaspheme the name of God by the way that we conduct ourselves in the world? And do we also blaspheme the name of God by the way we speak of him literally or use his name? But we're supposed to be careful about how we speak this name. Why? Because he's holy and we can either contribute to his reputation among the nations or trash it. And so here's a a thought for you as we consider this passage. We often spend a lot of time worrying about our own reputation. How often do we concern ourselves with God's reputation? It's a good question to consider. But as the text says in verse 2b, we are to worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. Again, if you have an ESV, you'll see a translation note here that says this can also mean in holy attire, in holy attire. Um, but I don't think that's what this passage is supposed to be addressing right here. It's not talking about how we should dress. I think it is better to apply these words to God, i.e. we should worship the Lord for the splendor of his holiness. Not our splendor, but his splendor. So as we'll see in the next verse, God our king is not just a God who is someone we should fear, but he's also a king of majesty. So altogether... We as God's people and the angelic beings are called to worship, pay homage to, praise our king. 
And just as you would bow down or kneel before an ancient king as he passed by, even more so, we should honor the king. All right, so that brings us to our next section, which, by the way, now that we're, you know, in the midst of this psalm, I want to tell you, if you're looking for some, you know, practical four, five things I should do after, you know, this message is over, this isn't that type of sermon, okay? This sermon is entirely centered on us um, coming to recognize who God is and the glory that is due his name. So it, it, it requires some thought tonight, and, and I want you to hang with me and um, consider uh, how much glory we bring to God's name and how we think of God and how majestic and mighty he is in our own estimation. Let's read, and hopefully these verses will um, bring these things to mind. Um, here's a description of God's glory and strength, which was uh, descri- discussed in verses 1 and 2. Here we go, verses 3 through 9. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory, I'm sorry, the God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. Listen to all these repetitions of the voice of the Lord, by the way. Verse 4, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. All right, so if you're counting the voice of the Lord, that phrase appears seven times in that passage we just read. And if we look at the Old Testament as a whole, we'll see that this phrase appears a total of 49 times. But many of those times, we see it in the context of revelation and obedience. In other words, those other passages might talk more of obeying the voice of the Lord, right? Uh, Do, you know, follow all that the voice of the Lord has, has told you. For example, Deuteronomy 27, 10 says, You shall therefore obey the voice of the Lord your God. Okay? So in that context... That's referring to all the commands that God has spoken. But I don't want you to see that context here. Okay? Even though that's the majority of the way that's used elsewhere, here that is not what's being spoken of. I don't want you to think so much in terms of obedience and following these commands, but more in terms of glory and might and power and majesty. That's what's being communicated here when we hear the voice of the Lord. And if that's what you've been thinking... As we've read it, then you are spot on. So keep that in your head, because there's many things that this psalm is going to say, and we'll summarize them here as we just go through these verses 3 through 9 together. Three things we learn about the voice of the Lord. The voice of the Lord is powerful, right? You can see that just in the many illustrations that are given. It breaks the cedars, right? It, It causes the ground to shake. God's voice is powerful. Number two, the voice of the Lord is expansive, Okay, it covers over many waters, so it's not just limited to one time and place. If we're talking about thunder, which God's voice is applied to, we could say that, well, thunder and lightning is, you know, localized in a storm somewhere. Here, it's everywhere. God's voice has no bounds. His power has no bounds. Number three, the voice of the Lord is majestic. And we saw that in verse 9, causes everyone to cry, glory. So again, in summary, it's powerful, it's expansive, it's majestic. And the images that the psalmist uses here um, 
are all meant to serve these three ideas. So I tried to bring up some pictures on Google here of, of stuff that's described here. We have thunder, right? We have breaks the cedars, so there's some broken trees. There's rubble, if you think of an earthquake. There's fire, because it's, it's likened to fire in a way. And you think, how can you liken a voice to fire? Well, we'll see other scriptures that, that tie that together as well. And all these different things, it strips the forest bare. These are the things that God's voice can do. This is the kind of God that we have, a God of might, of majesty, of expansiveness. Now, what are we going to do with these? Um, well, I, I think the best way to illuminate some of the things that are described here is actually to uh, go to some other passages of Scripture tonight that can illuminate a little bit more of what God's voice is like, right? Because it's kind of hard for us to wrap our minds around what does God's voice sound like? How does it break the cedars? As far as we can tell, these images that are found here in Psalm 29 are just being used for poetic nature. We don't know of a case where God's voice literally broke down cedars or you know, caused a, a, a calf to skip through the mountains. It's, it's being used as an illustration to, to show his power and all these things. But what we can do is go to other passages of Scripture where God did speak and amazing things happen, and people describe his voice in a very similar way. So that's what I'd like to do tonight, and hopefully that'll make these things come alive even more for you. Let's go to Exodus 19, verses 16 through 20, and we're talking about Mount Sinai, right? If you're trying to think of times in the Bible where God spoke, what's the first one that comes to your mind? Well, that would be Mount Sinai, Mount Sinai, where the people heard God. So here we go. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought out the people to the uh, camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and here it is, God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. So God's voice is compared to thunder here. Just like in our passage, Psalm 29, verse 3, the voice was terrifying to the Israelites to hear. We could go on to Deuteronomy, gives us an, another further description, chapter 4. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. This is Moses now retelling what happened when they were there by Mount Sinai. And here's the key part. While the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom, and then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. And apparently this voice was so terrifying that the Israelites thought they would die from hearing it. Let's go to chapter 5, and it says that very thing. These words, all the, the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, with a loud voice. And he added no more. And he wrote on them two tablets of stone and gave them to me. And as soon as you heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness... While the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders. And you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. And here it is. And we have heard his voice out of the midst 
of the fire. This day we have seen God speak with man, and man still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any more, we shall die. And I think that's very interesting because it's describing fire and you think, okay, if there's anything they're afraid of, it's the fire. But they say, no, it's the voice. If we hear this voice any longer, we will die. That is how terrifying and powerful it is. God asked Job in chapter 40, can you thunder with a voice like his, like God's? It's a good question. No one is like him, of course. His voice is unlike anything we have heard before. So when Psalm 29, verse 3 says, The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders over many waters. I think this speaks not only to his power, but again also to this expansiveness of the power. There are many other examples of where we could hear uh, God's voice described in detail. Let's go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel. Okay, again, another passage that comes to mind when we think of God's voice being described in great detail for us. And again, these are just prophets. These are human beings trying to describe to us what it sounded like. And it's altogether possible that what they heard is impossible to describe in human words. Because you'll see, even in Ezekiel, that several images are combined. He's saying it sounds like this, but with this layered on top of it and, and something else. And, and we'll see what that, what that sounds like or how he describes it. Okay, so in the book of Ezekiel, the prophet sees a vision in which there are four angelic beings that surround the throne of God. Okay, Ezekiel's a tough book to read. When you get to Ezekiel in your Bible, through the, it's, it's long and it's difficult, but this is some of the, the most exciting parts of it when you, when you get to this part about the vision. And there are these beings that are surrounding the throne room of God, and they have four faces, and they have four wings, and they look very strange, okay? And so oftentimes when we think of angels, children's books often put wings on them, right? And that confuses our kids because they're like, angels have wings, but not, not really. I mean, in a way, most of the angels that we think of that appear to human beings, they just look like regular men. In fact, so much so that the people confuse them for regular men, they didn't have giant wings sticking out of their backs, at least as far as we know. They're not described as having wings. The wings part comes from here. But don't get that confused. These are cherubim. Okay? These are a different type of being altogether. So there are different classes and types of angels described in the Bible. The messengers that often come to, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they're a different type. They're just the messengers. Okay, But these are ones that surround the throne room of God, known as cherubim or seraphim and uh, different Names different, given to different, slightly different types. Um, but they're different, okay? And so they're pictured here in this, in this image. But let's listen to Ezekiel chapter 1. And uh, God's voice is going to come into play here. Starting in verse 23. And under the expanse their wings were stretched out straight, one toward another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, here we go, I heard the sound of their wings like the sound of many waters like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. Okay, so here it's describing several things. It's describing the wings, first of all, but he compares it. He said, it sounds like the voice of the Almighty, uh, the voice of God, which also sounds like waters, which also sounds like an army. 
Now, um, I'm think, I think, sound crew, you have to help me out with this. I think I'm at the, the correct slide here. I tried to find audio examples online of what all this sounds like together. So I tried to pull together what an army sounds like and what rushing waters sound like and a hurricane, mixed them together. We're going to give it just a sound like that. This is a little bit of what it may have sound like, however imperfect. Now imagine you're Ezekiel and you saw these beings make that sound. Okay. Quite terrifying, and I'm sure I didn't do it justice. But it sounds something like that, at least according to what he wrote, which he says sounds a little bit like that terrifying voice of God. Ezekiel 10 gives us a further description in this way. Of these beings. And the sound of the wings of the cherubim was heard far in the outer court, like the voice of God Almighty when he speaks. Just to make it a little more clear. So, since the wings of these beings are twice described as sounding like the voice of God, we have some additional analogies, and that's all they are analogies, to help us understand what this might sound like. Ezekiel 1 would lead us to believe that the voice of God. Sounds like rushing of many waters, like the vast sound of an army. But again, I'm led to believe that all of these are just imperfect analogies, doing his very best to describe what he is hearing with his ears. A totally unique new sound that is a combination of many things and so much more. Terrifying, mighty, powerful, majestic is the voice of God. Third other example that I'd like to mention where God spoke audibly and in a terrifying way is the book of Job. So we already talked about Sinai. We talked about the book of Ezekiel. Now we'll talk about Job. God allows many terrible things to happen to Job, and Job laments about everything that happens. And then in the midst of the book, most of it is this argument between him and his friends about who's right. They're saying he did something wrong. He goes on to try and justify himself almost a little bit too far um, to say that he is totally innocent. And meanwhile... Uh, all this is taking place, and finally God steps in at the end. So we come to chapter 38 of Job, and here's where we get a sense of what God is like, again, appearing to him. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you will make it known to me. I love that. That's, that's one of my favorite one of my favorite verses of Scripture, because it's just God showing up and putting everything to rest. You know, um, Job argues with his friends for quite a bit of time, you know, and uh, here uh, God enters the scene and just lays it all out there, and Job has nothing to say. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or, you, or who stretched out the line upon it? Again, going back to Job 40, can you thunder with a voice like his? And the answer is, of course, no, no. Uh, what I want you to notice is this very act of God speaking is enough to bring Job to his knees. The voice of God ends all arguments, you know. 
Uh, if you get into an argument with somebody, the conversation goes on, and you might find yourself raising your voice a little bit louder and louder. And most times when we raise our voice, we try to express just how right we are by this raising of our voice. It's us trying to insist that, no, my position is right. We're trying to silence the other side. But what usually happens? It usually doesn't work, right? Instead of ending an argument, it, we just end up escalating it. However, with God, that is not so. When God's voice is heard, there is no argument. God's voice ends all arguments. So Job chapter 40, verses 3 through 5. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once, and I will not answer. Twice, but I will proceed no further. So we've established that God's voice is powerful. Uh, we've established that it's expansive. But also, verse 4 and many others tell us that it is majestic. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. What does Psalm 29 mean by this? Well, again, we could go to other verses of Scripture to flesh this out. And if we continue using Ezekiel as a good example of this, this voice of God being not only powerful and terrifying, but also majestic, let's read this from chapter 1. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, this is the creatures again, uh, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, the sound of the tumult, like the sound of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. Moving on. <clears throat> and there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads, and when they stood still, they let down their wings, and above the expanse over their heads was the likeness of a throne, in appearance like sapphire. And seated above it, this likeness of a throne was the likeness of a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it was gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as if it were of the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the, one, uh, the voice of one speaking. Okay, so what, what I want you to see there is that not only is God's voice terrifying and powerful, but it's also majestic. It's described in these beautiful images of sapphire, uh, of a, uh, a crystal throne, uh, this waste that is gleaming like metal, of uh, the appearance of fire all around. I think this is a perfect balance uh, of those two ideas, God's power and his majesty, right? And remember, those are the two things that we said we're calling, we were called to, to, to notice in verses, uh, verses 1 and 2, okay? His, his power and his majesty. There's another reference that comes to mind. I'll just use this one more. 2 Peter 1, 17, where we see this idea of majesty mixed with power. And this is talking about the transfiguration. Peter, looking back on that event, he says, For when, we, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. Okay, there's the voice, right? The voice is mentioned again. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Okay, that's describing the events, actually, that take place in Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. 
and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And behold, there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I, wish, I will make a, three tents here, one for you and uh, one for Moses and one for Elijah. And he was speaking uh, when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And here it is, a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So here's the transfiguration, right? Something terrifying, right? Because the disciples fall on their faces, but something glorious, something absolutely beauty, where, where, beautiful, where Peter wants to build tabernacles. He, he thinks this is such, something so beautiful, so amazing, maybe we should build these tabernacles like, like in the wilderness to contain this glory. And he doesn't know what he's talking about, but he's, he's trying his best to figure out what all this means and what to do about all of it. But again, going back to our theme here, God's voice is powerful, it's expansive, and it's majestic. Think again of this idea I told you in the beginning, the voice of a king, the voice that's royal, beautiful, both commanding and awe-inspiring, the voice of a perfect king. Well, there are many other details I might uh, get into, but I don't have time for tonight. All the other images, if we go back to Psalm 29, just fit into the categories that we've already described. For example, verse 5, the Lord breaking the cedars of Lebanon, again, shows his power. Or even when it says in verse 6, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, I don't think that's some sort of like happy dance <laughs> that's going on. Like, like, yay, I'm prancing through the, I'm not going to prance for you. That would be hilarious, but I don't think you want to see that, okay? And uh, that's, I don't think that's what's going on here either, all right? If you think of, you know, skipping like a calf, I think it's skipping as in the sense of running away, right? God's voice is so powerful, so terrifying, so amazing that he can cause the whole creation to flee, basically. Um, and then verse 7 the voice of the Lord flashes fl flames of fire. Again, also an image of power and awe. And you could think back again to the illustration we already gave about Mount Sinai, the, the flames of fire that uttered forth from that mountain. We see here in these verses um, that God is, again, powerful. He's majestic. He's expansive. You know, you think of these terrifying things like the fire. Um, altogether, he is a king who is to be revered and worshipped. That's where this all you know, meets the road. You might say, well, why'd you get into all that, Pastor Dave? What's the point of all this? The point is that we have an amazing, powerful, mighty king. And, and here is where the blessing comes down in the very last verses. We have here in, um, let me just jump ahead. <clears throat> I skipped some of those. Going to verses 10 and 11. Blessings to the Lord our king in his reign. This is how the psalm concludes. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Okay, so that voice of the Lord phrase isn't here, right? It comes down to summarize why all that was talked about in the first place. Why, why was all that gone into? Why? Because he's a king. He is a perfect king. So the Lord sits enthroned over all of it. He is king forever. 
What do we take away from a story like this, from a psalm like this, a scripture passage like this? In short, God is a God of glory and strength, just as we saw back in verses 1 and 2. Oh, that we would truly know that. I might say in my heart that I wish God would speak to me, right? In the beginning, I gave you this illustration. I asked you this question. Have you ever wondered what God's voice sounds like, right? And I got to admit, I have wondered that before. I wondered what would it be like if God could speak directly to me in all of his you know, might and power. But understand that when I think that, it's, it's a rather naive thing for me to wish, isn't it? It's kind of like a child who says, I wish I could see a lion's teeth up close, right? I mean, I wish I could see what, what, the, what the fangs are like. That sounds nice to the child, but they have no idea what they're asking for or how, any idea of how frightening or dangerous it would be if he were to get his, his wish. The Israelites were not allowed to see God fully revealed. God made that clear when he said to Moses, no one can see my face and live. We have only been given a glimpse as to what God the Father is truly like. But I think that even the little bit that we do know, the small amount that we've been shown even here about God the Father is enough to give us a sufficient picture of what he is like. And I think that's the point of this psalm. We don't need God to be described in complete fullness to get a sense of how powerful, how majestic, how mighty, how expansive he really is. All the psalmist needs to do is to describe this one characteristic, his voice, his voice. You might say, why devote a whole psalm just to his voice? Because even that is powerful enough to show that our God is mighty, beyond comprehension. Our God is terrifying, awe-inspiring, majestic, the best possible king that you could ever hope to have. The biblical authors don't tell us what his face is like, but they do tell us about this one thing, his voice. And just that one small aspect is enough to show us all of these things that we've gone over. He is mighty. He is majestic. He is expansive. He is awesome. He is our king. And that's the real takeaway, that all these things that we've described tonight They describe our king, right? We don't live under a kingship, so it's hard for us to really appreciate this fully. We we live under a president, and then there's Congress, and there's a different governmental system here, right? But do you think of who you would want to live under? There's so many corrupt rulers in the world. You hear story after story of that. So it, it becomes hard for us to really appreciate the fact that one day we will dwell face to face with this perfect king who reigns and has reigned all along, ever since the beginning of time and will for all eternity. That is our king. That is the king that we live under presently, who has made us, who sustains us, and will resurrect us and will dwell with us. That is an amazing thought. So praise be to God, our glorious, mighty, powerful, majestic king. That's the point of the psalm tonight. Let's pray. God, I pray that as we've read this psalm tonight, that its words would touch our hearts, that even the circumstances of our life would be put into perspective by just how mighty and powerful 
and majestic you are. May we um, be overjoyed knowing that you are our king. May we treat you with the reverence that you so deserve. And may we praise your name and uphold it all of our days and look forward to that day where we will see you face to face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you are dismissed.